This is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode 108 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. And folks, just as a reminder, as we get started on today's episode, it is the month of November, and this is the month that we celebrate the birth of this podcast. In fact, this coming week, we are going to hit the two-year mark on the dot. It was November 11th, uh, 2019, when I released the first three episodes of this podcast, and uh, I have been releasing at least one podcast every week since then, and up to this point, uh, I've been lucky enough not to miss a week. So here we are, episode 108, and so to celebrate that, what we are doing this month is I have put together a bit of a survey. If you go to the homesteadjourney.net slash survey and fill that out, those who participate in that survey are entered to win fabulous prizes. And so thank you so much to everyone who has taken part in that survey. I really, really appreciate it. And if you haven't done so yet, uh, I would really appreciate it if you head on over to the homesteadjourney.net slash survey and fill that out. It's, I think, about 10 questions long, not anything really deep or complex, no gotcha questions. It's simply a way for you to help me help you. Um, we're going to chart the course of this podcast for the next uh, several years together via that survey. And again, in honor of the two-year anniversary of the launch of this podcast, I will be giving away fabulous prizes. And so if you haven't done so already, head on over to the homesteadjourney.net slash survey, fill it out. If you've already done that, I really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your feedback. All right, let's jump right on into this week's Homestead Happenings. So this week was a busy week here on the Homestead. Uh, part of what it was, it's that time of the year when the local farm stands are shutting down. Many of them, uh, their last day of operation is uh, Halloween and November 1st, it's kind of a free-for-all for free pumpkins. And so I did hit up several uh, of our local farm stands and farms for some pumpkins. And so this week, I was able to get about three truckloads uh, of pumpkins for my pigs. I also finally was able to get my chickens moved up to the Ruth stout bed and kind of put them to work as they are prepping that bed for winter. Now, unfortunately, the ground is still a little bit soft. So I left a few more tracks than I would have liked, but uh, it is what it is. I didn't want to wait any longer. So they're up there. They're happy. They're enjoying it. And uh, if you want to see pictures of it, they are over on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, take a look at that. Happy chickens out tilling the garden. I've put those freeloaders to work. 
<laughs> Another project I had this week was I had my Thai chili peppers. I think I had mentioned that to you last weekend that they were one of the things that I had not gotten picked before the first frost. And uh, thankfully, the peppers themselves uh, seemingly were unaffected. The plants had started to die off. And so I went ahead and uh, picked all of those peppers um, this week. And let me tell you something, folks, those little peppers uh, are a bit of a pain in the butt to pick. It's just a little bit of a fiddly thing uh, to begin with. And as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I'm not someone who enjoys fiddly things. Um, But beyond that, I'm going to make a bit of a confession here. And this may be a little TMI, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to share with you a mistake that I made. There were a few of them that had kind of gotten soft and mushy. And uh, so as I was picking those peppers, I got some of that juice on my hands. And I was about three quarters of the way through picking those peppers and I needed to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, Trust me when I tell you, folks. For about a day and a half, <laughs> I was a wee bit uncomfortable. We'll put it like that. Uh, yeah, but uh, definitely picking hot peppers with my bare hands and then going to the bathroom is not one of the smarter things I've ever done in my life. But I did go ahead and get those pickled up. Instead of doing them in pints, I actually did them up in the half pint jelly jars and I left the stems on them. They're very, very pretty. Again, if you want to see pictures of them, I, I did put a picture of a jar of those pickled peppers up on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, so very excited to enjoy those. Uh, they will warm me, I guess, a third time. Uh, well, anyhow, that's maybe a little bit too much information. <laughs> but I did go ahead and get that project done and very, very excited about it. I do have a few more peppers sitting around that I need to either dry or ferment. Um, I haven't quite made up my mind what I'm going to do with them, but uh, certainly need to get that wrapped up. And really coming down to the end of uh, Garden 2021, um, I am in the process right now of shelling some of my pole beans, my runner beans. I've been shelling those. I actually spent some time today uh, shelling some of my dry beans since I was on a web meeting that lasted all day. I went ahead and shelled dry beans during that time. And uh, again, if you want to see pictures of that over on Facebook, Instagram, beautiful, beautiful array of colors on those beans. I did some that are called Jacob's cattle. I believe they're golden Jacob's cattle. They're kind of this um, yellow modeled bean. Very, very pretty. Uh, A variety called Cherokee Trail of Tears, which is a black bean. Very prolific, but the beans are a little bit on the smaller side. So I'm not quite sure if I'm going to grow them again next year, but they were very, very prolific. And in that regard, I was very happy with them. I also went ahead uh, earlier this week and uh, shelled some of the pinto beans um, and uh, really got a good mess of those. And uh, so again, um, we're we're winding down, but uh, still getting some more food in the larder, so to speak. One other thing I did this week as I got my squash moved indoors and stored away for the winter, I had been allowing it to cure. And uh, now I have it in a very nice box that came from my grandfather's house. And so excited to put one of his uh, potato boxes 
back into service holding my winter squash. Had a really nice array of squash, some Robin's Coquinquat, I think is what it's called. It comes from row seven seeds. Very, very pretty squash. Uh, some of the, the uh, center cut squash that I let mature. Uh, that again comes from row seven seed. Some Zeppelin Delicata, which is the uh, op, um, kind of football shaped yellow squash. And some butternut squash. And a few Hubbard squash went in there. So a good variety of winter squash that we will enjoy throughout the winter months and got that all stored away this week. One other thing that I wanted to share with you that was not homesteading related, but uh, was just a bit of fun information. Very proud of my son. He was selected for all county jazz band uh, this year. And so yesterday was that concert. And so I just really enjoyed um, hearing him. And a proud Papa moment. He had a solo in one of the songs, did a great job, of course, maybe a little bit biased, but uh, certainly it was a a joy of mine uh, to enjoy that this week. And folks, as I have shared with you before on this podcast, make sure that you're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And as much as I love homesteading, in my opinion, investing in your kids is the most important thing that you can do. And uh, so we did that this week and really enjoyed that concert. One last thing to share with you. And that is that tonight, my son and I did take part in my least favorite chore on the homestead. And you know what that is. Yes. I had one piglet that needed to be castrated. Unfortunately, while there were two testicles uh, that I felt before I began the operation, He refused to let down the second testicle and I could not uh, fully castrate him. So what I've opted to do is like I've done in the past with ones where I couldn't find a second testicle. And that is that I will keep him by himself. Actually, I will put another cut male in with him and then we will harvest him early. Uh, I refer to those pigs as one nut Jack. And I don't know why. And uh, certainly no reference to my buddy, Jack Palmer (laughs) over at the mindful homestead. So maybe I should come up with another name, but I've always referred to them as one nut Jack. And so uh, one nut Jack will be harvested early, probably around Christmas time for our Christmas feast. Well, that's what we've been up to here on the homestead. I hope that things are well, wherever you may be. Uh, Today, the day that I'm recording this was the first day of daylight savings time. So that means that it's going to get much darker, much earlier. And I just really dislike this time of year, but I try to look for the silver lining in the cloud. And what that's going to do is simply force me indoors a little earlier. And my goal is really to uh, burn through some homesteading books that I have been accumulating this year. And uh, so I'm sure I will be sharing with you some of my takeaways from those books uh, over the next several months, but uh, really looking forward to taking a deep dive into some of those things, as well as really leaning into a few of the non-homesteading related activities that I'm involved in. And uh, so we'll just look for the silver lining in the dark cloud that is daylight savings time. All right. Let's head on over to this week's Charting the Course. 
On today's Charting the Course, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the health benefits of fermentation. Now, fermentation is something that I've talked about a little bit here on the podcast. Back on episode 100, we talked about fermentation as a means of food preservation. And on episode 104, I did slightly touch on the topic with Meredith Lee with the hopes of having her back on the program in the future to really take a deep dive into more of the nuts and bolts of fermentation. This week, I ran across an article on the Popular Sciences website that comes at the topic from a very interesting perspective. At least it was very interesting to me. The article does focus on an archaeogeneticist, I hope I'm saying that correctly, by the name of Christina Warner, who has been studying microbes and bacteria around the world. In part, she's been exhuming bodies and scraping the plaque off teeth and looking at the bacteria from thousands of years ago. But the article really focuses on her recent endeavors where she has been studying the people of Mongolia and their complex relationship with dairy. And in particular, the fact that over 95% of Mongolians, according to the article, are lactose intolerant, and yet they achieve over 50% of their calories from dairy products. So how is that possible? How can a people who shouldn't be able to digest dairy, how are they able to do that? What they found is that many people in Mongolia, uh, as a family, have these starter cultures that they use to manufacture their dairy products. And they, in essence, pass these things on from generation to generation. And in the article, they say these starter cultures uh, are cared for as you would care for an infant. And they use those starter cultures to inoculate or start the next batch of whatever it is that they are making. And so Christina's team actually sampled uh, the different starter cultures from the different families across Mongolia. And they found that each one is slightly different from the next. And so it's her hypothesis that it's not just the fermentation process that aids the Mongolian people in being able to digest dairy, but it's the biodiversity that is found that has led them not just to be able to tolerate, but to thrive on dairy. In the article, it says this, sitting transfixed in homes made from wool, leather, and wood, she was struck by the contrast with the plastic and steel kitchen she was familiar with in the United States and Europe. Mongolians are surrounded by microscopic organisms, the bacteria that ferment the milk into their assorted foodstuffs, the microbes in their guts, and on the dairy-soaked felt of their yurts. The way these invisible creatures interact with each other, with the environment, and with our bodies creates a dynamic ecosystem. Now contrast that with our Western approach. And I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage from the article. Industrialization, sterilization, and antibiotics have dramatically changed the invisible ecosystems. 
Underneath the superficial diversity of flavors, mall staples like sushi, pad thai, and pizza, food is becoming more and more the same. Large-scale dairies even ferment items like yogurt and cheese using lab-grown starter cultures, a $1.2 billion industry dominated by a handful of industrial producers. People eating commoditized cuisine lack an estimated 30% of the gut microbe species that are found in remote groups still eating quote-unquote traditional diets. In 2015, Warner was part of a team that found bacteria in the digestive tracts of hunter-gatherers living in the Amazon jungle that have all but vanished in people consuming a selection of typical Western fare. People have the feeling that they eat a much more diverse and global diet than their parents, and that might be true, Rest says, but when you look at those foods on a microbial level, they're increasingly empty. A review paper in Science in October of 2019 gathered data from labs around the world, beginning to probe if this dwindling variety might be making us sick. Dementia, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and certain cancers are sometimes termed diseases of civilization. They're all associated with the spread of urban lifestyles and diets, processed meals, and antibiotics. Meanwhile, food intolerances and intestinal illnesses like Crohn's disease and irritable bowel syndrome are on the rise. Compare the microbiome of Mongolian herders to samples from people consuming a more industrial diet elsewhere in the world could translate into valuable insights into what we've lost and how to get it back. Identifying the missing species could refine human microbiome therapies and add a needed dose of science to probiotics. A few of the things that I've been thinking about this week as a result of reading this article. First of all is the fact that fermentation simply is not a huge part of the Western diet. At least it hasn't been a huge part of mine from the time I was a kid. In fact, a lot of the food that people would associate potentially with being lacto-fermented, things like sauerkraut or pickles, weren't products of the fermentation process when I consumed them as a kid or even into my adult years. They came from a can or from a jar. They'd been processed. And if, in fact, they had been fermented, that process of canning them certainly would have killed any of the beneficial microbes that existed. But even when we do consume fermented products here in the Western world or in the United States in particular, those starter cultures come from a handful of industrial producers. And therefore, there's not a diversity of microbes in the products that we consume like there is in the Mongolian diet. And one of my takeaways from this article is that it's the biodiversity in the starter cultures that has led to the Mongolian people being able to consume and not just tolerate, but to thrive on dairy. But certainly in the Western world, our use and probably overuse of antibiotics has led to a lot of issues. I have experienced that personally. In fact, it was a course of antibiotics that I took over several weeks that led to an imbalance in my gut health, um, whereby I ended up going to the doctor and I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. 
and they prescribed to me a probiotic pill. Now, I don't like to take pills. And so I came home and did some investigation where I could find probiotics naturally. And that led me down the rabbit hole of lactofermentation. And it was through a batch of sauerkraut that I made myself that I was able to get my gut health back in check. I've not used a probiotic pill. And anytime when I've started to have a little bit of issue, I've just made more sauerkraut and it has dealt with the gastrointestinal issues that I had. So what are we to do then? Well, the first thing I think we need to think about is simply adding fermented foods to our diet, whether that's sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, kefir, yogurt, uh, and the list could go on and on and on. We need to add those things back into our diet. And preferably, I think these should be products that we make ourselves. Yes, you can go buy kombucha at the store now, and you can even buy lacto-fermented sauerkrauts and kefirs and yogurts at the store. But going back to what they mentioned in the article, there is a lack of biodiversity in those products that come to us on an industrial level. If that's all you can muster, certainly I think that's better than no fermented products at all. But if you can make them at home, I think you will be much better off because making them at home is going to increase the biodiversity of those products. Secondly, as we think about sourcing starter cultures, my recommendation would be when appropriate, instead of getting the starter cultures from a commercial source, see if you can source them from a friend or a neighbor or a fellow homesteader. Now, there's certain things like sauerkraut that you don't need a starter culture for. I mean, a starter culture can be of help, but you don't need a starter culture to make sauerkraut from scratch. But if you're looking for sourdough, or if you're looking for a kombucha, or if you're looking for kefir grains, if you can source them from people in your area, because you're already going to start seeing a development of biodiversity within those ferments that you would not necessarily see from a commercial starter. Now, if all you can do is source them from a commercial perspective, then that's fine. Again, I think that's better than nothing, but I do think, or, and again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a kind of ist, but it just stands to reason to me based on what they found in Mongolia with these people curating their starter cultures and caring for their starter cultures, there's a level of biodiversity that happens there. And if we can share those things one with another, I think we're going to be better off. So those are my thoughts on lacto-fermentation as a potential means for a more healthy lifestyle. Again, I'm not an expert, not a nutritionist, but it just seems to me that it's working in Mongolia, and if it can work in Mongolia, it can work in upstate New York. And it's not just about digesting dairy. I think that fermentation across the board, at least for me personally, and maybe again, it's a, a placebo effect, but for me personally, it has contributed to an overall better uh, gut health, and I think it may for you. 
And who knows? I'm certainly not suggesting that uh, lactofermentation is a cure for dementia, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and certain cancers. But on the other hand, who knows? Maybe they are. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. Hopefully you found this helpful and we'll see you next week. Brian can be reached by emailing him at brian at thehomesteadjourney.net or by contacting him via our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, we invite you to become a member of the Supporting Listeners Program. For $10 a month or $100 per year, you will receive access to a community of like-minded individuals via a private Facebook group, at least one monthly live Q&A with Brian, the opportunity to participate in live recordings of the podcast, access to an ever-expanding library of helpful homesteading content, and so much more. Head on over to support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information and to sign up today. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.